there's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 15th of June 2009. Newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and on that site you'll see in the front page all the other sites I have listed and you should get used to picking one of them as your favorite and downloading shows from there because I've no doubt at all the way things are going as the big powers that be start pulling in the reins uh, that Yahoo will probably go down again. That'll be the third time it's happened to me. When it does, therefore, look at the other sites I have, and you can bookmark them. That way, if the Yahoo ones go down, you can go into cuttingthrough.jankness.com or cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca, or you can download from alanwattsentinel.eu, which has all the audios, plus it has the transcripts, and you can print them up for, for, for passing around to your friends. They're written in the various languages of Europe. Now, those who listen to the show regularly know uh, that I depend upon you, the listeners, to keep me going. And that, that happens by your donations or by what you buy on the website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And for those who... So you must keep, keep at it because things are really going up and I'm putting more sites as well that costs money plus I pay for a satellite upload I can't get any other service here and that's expensive for the terrible service they give you but uh, it's up to you to keep me going last week I read an article from mainstream media to do with the demolishing basically of uh, the greater cities around the U.S. and how Obama is just, uh, you know, now and then he's considering it, supposedly. And it was presented to the public as some other guy's idea that just happened to put it in his ear and he's been toying with the demolishing all the old rural areas around the cities and also the urban areas. Remember, these greenies have been on for an awful long time about urban sprawl, they called it. Oh, urban sprawl, too many people uh, in urban sprawl. Well, you see, now they're going ahead with their very old plan. Uh, now that we're no longer required to man their factories, etc., and they plan to reduce the size of the cities and have everyone crammed into the inner cities and do the greening projects where the old buildings used to be, the old streets used to be. And the one thing they will not mention to you at all is it's not Obama's plan whatsoever. It's Agenda 21. That's all in Agenda 21. And Obama is simply the boy they put in to sign everything into existence and steamroll everything ahead. And it's coming fast. But you read into Agenda 21, fascinating to tell you what your future is going to be. I'll be back with more of this after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just mentioning that Agenda 21 is going ahead under many different guises, many different names. And of course, look at, uh, if you really want to find out what it is, look into the United Nations Agenda 21. It's the agenda for the 21st century and for what's to happen 
and how whole peoples have to get moved around, squashed into cities, and then hopefully they'll sort of die off there. And we know that's going to be the case because they've talked about 30 years of rioting at the Department of Defense, and I published on my website their 90-page report on that from Britain and all NATO countries to do with the 30 years of rioting and how the population is just going to suddenly decline. It's not going fast enough, but it is declining now, but they want to speed it up, so why wait around? Just get on with it. And remember, too, in the 20th century, in the latter part of the 20th century, and all academia, which gets big grants from private foundations, they started prattling on about global warming because that was a mandate that came from the Club of Rome. It must be, it ought to be politically correct and, and adapt to that way of thinking. But they also went on, on about the century of change. That's what Obama was talking about, change is good. It was about the century of change, where the whole Fabian socialist planned society worldwide is made to happen. They say that the signs of the times are always with you. They're always around you. Always. And I remember back in the 1980s, everyone suddenly decided to complain about the mess the roads were in. In every country, in every city, pretty well, there were cutbacks and potholes and all the rest of it. And people saying, well, what must ever get fixed? And you'd hear the occasional reply from local governments talking about, well, tax money is just not flowing in. We've got so much expense. But what they didn't tell you is that, you see, everything had already changed. Everything had already changed. Your local governments, your city governments were not there to serve the people anymore. They were already global. They were giving out millions of dollars in aid to other countries. Now, that's all very nice and well, but did you vote in your town councils to give away your tax money to other countries. Of course you didn't. Well, who did mandate this? What kind of organization was set up to do so? Well, again, you go back to the United Nations, and that's the big umbrella for all of these internationalist organizations. That's also when your police chief association sprung into being, and your local police cop now belong to the United Nations. And that's where he gets his orders from. We were already global, you see. And as I say, it was evident to me back in the 80s that everything which looked so temporary, as they say, houses thrown up during times of boom and all these wires across the sky to carry your electricity and your telephones and so on, uh, they, were, they were just hanging there, not even maintained. It was obvious of what was planned. Because believe you me, if they needed the people to go on for another 100 years for any particular reason, either as taxpayers or as a supplying military force, they'd have made sure that the country was up to scratch everywhere else. When you see decline like that, it's a planned decline, it's a takedown. These guys at the top are very economically conscious. They never believe in doing something just for the sake of it and doing it well. They plan, they plan obsolescence, obsolescence right down to the, to the week and the month. Believe you me, they do. Therefore, as I say, under Agenda 21, everyone is to go get moved into the inner cities bit by bit, forced off the rural areas through excessive taxation and interference from the new groups that have been appointed to go out and inspect those homes using environmentalism and various other things to fine them thousands of dollars per day, which they can't pay, to get them off the land. And then we all end up crowded in our happy, love, lovely inner cities, 
living on top of each other as they exacerbate the problem by, again, keeping the immigrants flooding in, to make sure that there's so many people that everything is dysfunctional. You see, many, 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 many years ago, and it's been studied, every, every psychology intake does the same study, they put so many rats into a particular cage of a certain size, and the, the rats are well-behaved, there are little social laws, etc. They, they follow them until the population grows to a magic number and they can't get out of that cage. Then they become deviant, and then they start biting each other and killing each other, and so on. It's the same with people if they're crowded into the inner cities. There's nothing more anti-human than city structures. It's not meant for people. It's meant for people who keep the beehive going. But it's not meant for people. Plato talked about the creation of cities, and through the increasing cities across the world, they'd eventually dominate the world. They were the beehives where culture can be changed so quickly by those in charge, and everyone follows suits because everyone wants to belong to their peer group. What is your peer group? That's what's presented to you as successful. It's very simple. But there's nothing, as I say, more anti-human than a city. Everyone in a city is dependent on this system. They are interdependent for everything they need. Food, clothing, shelter, heat, everything. They're interdependent. And they want everyone to be interdependent in this new system. It means you're totally dependent on the system and the government for everything you need. That's what it's about. So Agenda 21 is rolling ahead. And, of course, they've floated their trial balloon in last week's newspaper. Remember, the links are all on my site at the end of the show. And that one I read last Friday is up already, too, where Obama's considering going ahead and literally demolishing all of these cities and the outer suburbs that are no longer required. He doesn't say you're required by whom. But then the people don't count, do they? Remember what they said at the Club of Rome, they favored collectivism because it was the best way to manage vast crowds of people. Collectivism is another term for Sovietization, communism. The Fabian socialists that were backed by the biggest bankers in the world. Look at their history. It's only a branch of the Council on Foreign Relations, a specialized branch. They're all specialized branches, you see, of the same organization. The Fabians wanted to introduce collectivism in a slower fashion by infiltrating all governments, altering culture so much that it didn't matter which side or class you came from, you'd already be indoctrinated in their doctrines. It could take 50 or 100 years. Well, they have done it. <clears throat> That's what it is. And when it's all happening, the people adapt and adapt. From 2001, we've adapted, supposedly, to the world being under vague, shadowy terrorist organizations. We've got used to presenting ID cards all over the place, cops with machine guns dressed like Nazis, black clad Nazis, and they changed all of that, remember, the police outfits back in the 90s, 
It was in the newspapers in Ontario. They even put out squads of them, four or five at a time, to walk down the streets to get the public used to it. And I saw them the first day they, they wore them in, in Ontario, in a little, a little spud town, potato town. And there they were, like a bunch of models, strolling and showing off their new black ties, black shirts, black jerkins, black uh, military pants, tucked in at the boots with the black military boots. This was happening across the Western world at the same time. See, we're already international, and your governments are just puppets to the internationalists. Mind you, they always were. The signs are always all around you. Always. And it's astounding, as I say, they can't fill potholes, but they can always give your money away to other countries. From, from a, a local level to a provincial or a state level and a federal level. Amazing, isn't it? Here's an article from a Michigan newspaper. And it's dated here the 12th of June, 2009. Now, this is sort of article is appearing across the country. But, you see, unless you read all the little local newspapers, you'll never know. They won't tell you it's happening across the country. It says, rural Michigan counties turn failing roads to gravel. June 12, 2009. Lansing, Michigan, AP. Some Michigan counties have turned a few once-paved rural roads back to gravel to save money. That's the excuse, you say. More than 20 of the state's 83 counties have reverted to deteriorating paved roads to gravel in the last few years, according to the County Road Association of Michigan. The counties are struggling with their budgets because tax revenues have declined in the lingering recession. Now, that's nonsense because, you see, they already have all the taxes that are supposed to go towards the roads in the first place. The car licensing and so on, on top of that, is an, a double tax, and then a triple tax and a quadruple tax, all for the same thing. So they, they lie off the bat. Right? It says, Montcalm County... Uh, converted nearly 10 miles of primary road to gravel this spring, the spring alone. The county estimates it takes about $10,000 to grind up a mile of pavement and put down gravel. It takes more than $100,000 to repave a mile of road. Reverting to gravel has happened in a few other states. Really? But which ones? But it's most typical in Michigan. At least 50 miles have been reverted in the state in the past three years. There's a lot more than that, actually. But they'll never tell us the whole, the whole story, will they? And that ties in, as I say, with that story I read on Friday, where Obama's going to push ahead without mentioning Agenda 21, and where houses once stood and streets once stood and families lived, they'll be turned back to the greening program, the welding, rewelding program. I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Last week I also talked about the fact that you never had to fear the communists uh, killing you off, uh, or even the Nazis either in World War II, because your own governments were doing amazing experiments on their own populations. You see, they're all technically Fabian socialists already, and under Fabian socialism or communism, they always restructure society and re-engineer it by killing off a good portion of the public right off the bat, the ones that they think can't catch up to be uh, integrated into a new modern society, 
it's interesting that Soviet story, excellent video to get a hold of, because it's the first time that they put out on film version uh, a lot of the truth to do with communism or, or socialism. At Britain's socialism, completely, utterly socialist. Uh, they call it different names. Liber they call it liberal or labor. It makes no difference whatsoever. Or progressive conservatives or neoconservatives. It's all the same thing nowadays. But they do believe that there are types that can't evolve fast enough uh, when they take over or, or have their next part of their ongoing revolution. Because they give you revolutions like sexual revolutions, non-bloody types, you see, different kinds of revolutions. It's all part of their plan. But the Soviet story went into an incredible horror of ongoing slaughter of different peoples, especially what they did to those in the Ukraine, where they literally decided to kill off um, about 6 to 12 million people by starvation and robbing them of all their food. And that's what they did. Uh, and they sold the food abroad to the West, apparently. And there's lots of footage in that video of this actually being done. That's the true aspect of those who believe in evolution, superior types, inferior types, because it's a doctrine. They believe it is a science, all based on Marxism. Now, Marx, remember, was mollycoddled and kept from the, his enemies in London, England, where the Communist Manifesto was written. He also gave a lot of the future. We talked about uh, the three trading blocks that would emerge, a united Europe, the United Americas, the United Pacific Rim region, under a world government. Well, he was no seer. He was just a guy in on the agenda. But getting back to what I said, you know, you don't have to fear these other pretense uh, enemies. I mean, the, the West fed the Soviet Union right through its entire existence. And... Um, to do with, with what your own people do to you, such as spraying you, for instance, is an interesting thing. Now, I'm going to put up on the website tonight at the end of the show evidence that the governments, especially Canada, um, is testing for cadmium and zinc uh, and aluminum oxide and so on, which they're spraying in the atmosphere. You don't do ongoing studies on this unless you're actually doing it. And we had NASA, I remember, coming out saying uh, that... Uh, we've got global dimming now, and it wasn't caused by man-made pollution, at least not through industry or automobiles. Of course, what it's doing it is all the particles of, of metals that have been putting into the air for the last 10 years, and weather modification. They're constantly playing with the weather. That's old stuff. That's already down in the 1970s treaty of the United Nations under weather warfare. Have a look at it and you'll see what they admitted to being able to do back then. But getting back to the, to the spraying, as I say, we have all these places across Canada and the States testing for, for uh, aluminum oxide and barium and various other cadmium, etc. You don't do it unless you're, you're, you're spraying this stuff. Why else would you be doing this ongoing survey, right? But here's an article here. Remember I told you they'll take 50 years before they declassify something because then most of the victims are dead by then and the next generation doesn't give a hoot. That's standard in humanity, unfortunately. I've got a PDF here from the government of Canada to do with the spraying over Winnipeg. They were doing it from 48 and they started again in 53. 
and U.S. Uh, aircraft were given permission to spray this stuff over the Winnipeg for quite some time, and then the Canadian government would study the results on their health down through their lifetime, which is wonderful when you have national health services, easy to do. On page four of this PDF, and I'll put up all these links at the end of my show on my site, it says, during the period of 9th of July to the 3rd of August, 1953, a series of 36 atmospheric tracer trials were conducted within the city of Winnipeg and one of the immediate surrounding uh, areas. The results of these trials are documented in a report prepared by Leighton of Stanford University and the Ralph M. Parsons Company in 1953, on page 15. Of the 36 trials carried out, results were presented for only 32 in the report because the remaining four trials with wind shifts occurred and the tracer materials never reached the samplers. The series of trials consisted of single-point releases, two-point releases with the aerosol generators, spaced 110 to 335 yards apart. Now, they're calling it aerosol release. And the other link I'm going to give you, too, you'll see aerosol testing to do with the, the ongoing aerial spraying by the aircraft that's been on the go for 10 years. But the, to continue on this one, it says, and the line releases were 1.65 miles wide. Seven of the trials were performed in open country, 18 miles outside of Winnipeg, to let the winds blow it in, in the region of Stony Mountain, with the remaining 25 trials carried out in the center of the city. In the center of the city. And what were they using at that time? Cadmium. Cadmium. Back with more on this report after the following break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, reading from a government-issued PDF, and I'll put the link up for yourselves to, to ponder it and peruse it, to see what they've disclosed to the public so far, always about 50 years after the event. You see, everyone's dead that could probably sue them. That's why they do this all the time. We won't know all the things they've done to us until 50 years' time. It's a standard. And you know, they always say it's for reasons of national security. National security. This is what they always cover it with. From this trial that was done then, testing the, this zinc cadmium on the public back in 53. One of many tests, by the way. But they've been on for quite some time. It said, um, a summary of the trial results extracted from the original reports is presented in Table 1. The maximum FP dosages are expressed as particles, and then it's got, I think it says, min one of air for each 32 tests. Only the highest dosages are reported. These were obtained from those sampling positions in the closest downwind position to the source. These dosages represent the integration of all the consecutive five-minute sample particle concentrations over the duration of the passage of the cloud and represent a dosage to which an individual would be exposed if he were at the same location as the sampler. They call you, they call you, see the sampler's there with all his gear on, uh, but you would know what he was. And you're walking by there, I'm going to tell you, see, you don't want to see how it affects you. <laughs> then he goes on about the safe occupational exposure limits for aerosol compounds such as that if peak products used in the Winnipeg study are expressed as milligrams, not as cubic millimeters, concentrations. As previously pointed out, the equivalent 
TLV, TDWA, or STL, occupational exposure limits for this may be expressed as particles per cubic meter. In terms of the cadmium sulfide components, cadmium sulfide is what is sprayed on the people there. Uh, it says of this product, these limits are TLV, TWA, and particles, and still blah, 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 particles. But there's so many pages to this article, but it also goes into biological weapons as well. Biological means bacterial or viral. You see? 50 years after the event. And it's ongoing. It's ongoing all the time. And it's always reclassified as 50 years from now, or yesterday, or last year, or whatever. That's how it's done. You see, under socialism, uh, we're all working towards the greater good. Everyone's expendable at the bottom because you're working towards the greater good. The few must perish for the sake of the many, they say, right out of Star Trek. You're cogs in the machine. You're just numbers. This is how Stalin looked upon them, too. Same way. Same way. And as I say, I'll put up the links too to do with the fact that the, the, the modern aerosols, which is a, the aerial spraying, are being tested. Why would you set up these organizations across the country to test daily doses of, of uh, cadmium, uh, uh, zinc, uh, aluminum oxide, and all the rest of it, unless you were spraying it in the air? It's quite the setup. I remember too when they put out the articles around 97, about a year before they started spraying in earnest. And uh, it, was, it was mentioned that the government weather stations were putting up these very sensitive areas that were all wired off from the public because they had to be so sensitive they could even catch uh, a, a photon hitting the ground. And I thought, what rubbish. Well, now we know what they're really for. It was to test for the ongoing aerosol spraying that's been continuing daily since 1998. That's the reality of it. It ties right in with the global dimming, which ties in with Teller, who first came up with the idea of bombarding the atmosphere with these particles back in the 1950s. The inventor of the H-bomb, another sweet fellow that goes down in history as a mass murderer. So, that's the reality of it. But they'll never tell you the truth. Uh, the job of government and socialism is never to tell the people the truth. Never. Here's an article here about Italy. It says here, and this is from Mail Online, Italy revives Mussolini's black shirt vigilantes as fears of fascism spark investigation. The 15th of June, 2009. An investigation has been launched after a new Italian vigilante group unveiled the uniform that brought back echoes of the dark days of fascism. Why are they saying this about Italy when I've been reading umpteen reports from, from Britain and other countries uh, who are literally recruiting from amongst the general population and put them into the same kind of groups? See, see how easy it is to put a spin on something by watching the same thing happening somewhere else. And, and instead of saying that the government is recruiting civilians into be spies and snoops on, their pub, on the rest of the public, you just say vigilantism or, or fascism, and you think it's different. Well, the same thing's happening across the Western world, isn't it? And governments are doing it. 
incredible how you can tar and distort the same thing until you can't recognize it, but just by changing a word, isn't it? It says here, but the group became the center of a political storm when it emerged that their kit bears a striking resemblance to Italian dictator Benito Mussolini's notorious black shirt volunteer militia. Then they show you a picture of this guy, and he's very smart. Italians love to dress very smartly, and he's got a, a well-tailored shirt on here that's not black at all. It's sort of khaki-colored or fawn, and his tie's black, but so are all, all our cops. And he's got a black pair of pants on. And they've got the, the shoulder patches, etc., because everybody loves to be militarized these days with the shoulder patches, even the postman. But it says here, prosecutors immediately opened an investigation into the group because of the similarity of the black-brown fascist uniforms worn during the 1930s by sympathizers in Italy and Germany. The new law, which is expected to pass easily in the Senate this week, allows vigilantes to alert police to public order offenses or suspected criminals but do not have the power of arrest. That's identical what they've given people in Britain. All these wannabe snoops and spies in Britain. They don't have the powers of arrest, but they have the power to call the cops and they do the arresting. It's the same thing. But again, the leaders change the perspective of it by alteration of a word, and, and people can't see it in their own backyard. They can't see it in their own backyard. Interesting, isn't it? There's an article here about, uh, and it's so, we've all heard about corporate socialism. Uh, when they bang, the, the governments bang the, the poverty level and those below poverty level and on welfare, etc., under this uh, Darwinistic system we live in, where the fittest are supposed to survive. And then they bail out down through the years all the big corporations whenever they're, they're howling about being hard up. Or government runs to the aid when a, when a bank goes under or something like that. And, and that's called corporate welfareism, you see. And yet there's no stink about that. For the money, the billions that are thrown at them, there's never a stink about it. And in fact, the public forget it right away. The public are told who to hate, you see. Unfortunately, it's true that the great unwashed masses out there, like Brzezinski said, cannot think or reason for themselves. They've been trained to listen to mainstream media. They'll do all their thinking for them, and they'll give them their conclusions. It's a basic, basic science. And, say, 2001, terrorism everywhere, terrorism everywhere, and then we go through all this nonsense about getting searched and ID cards and all the rest of it, no, no, no privacy whatsoever. Then we have the banks all uh, looting the public and telling us that money went to money heaven. And then we had the government's rushing to their aid, throwing the taxpayers' money and generations of taxpayers to come at the same bankers to keep them afloat. And the, the public's already forgotten about that. It's gone, you know. Uh, they've forgotten about that. In the cars, uh, suddenly, that's it for the car industry. They don't tell you, of course, they were already setting up in China and Russia for the last three or four years. <clears throat> but this last bailout will help them complete their move because it was no surprise to them at the top. And, and then, of course, as I say, the public are already terrified and have forgotten all of the last umpteen things I've just read. They've forgotten all about terrorism everywhere, no privacy. They've forgotten about the banks going under. Uh, and now they're on to pandemics, you see. This, this is the big thing. Oh, pandemics, pandemics. So they've forgotten everything. They have no memory. 
the great masses of people have no memory. That they only think about and are concerned about what the media tells them to think about and be concerned about. And the media is an arm of government. It's an essential arm of creating the matrix mentality. It gives you your reality. We're the most adaptable species on the planet. America's Socialism for the Rich from theguardian.co.uk, June the 12th, by Joseph Stiglitz. With all talk of green shoots of economic recovery, America's banks are pushing back on efforts to regulate them. Politicians talk about their commitment to regulatory reform to prevent a recurrence of the crisis. This is one area where the devil really is in the details. And the banks will muster what muscle they have left to ensure that they have ample room to continue as they have in the past. You're darn right they will. The old system worked well for the bankers, if not for their shareholders, so why should they embrace change? Indeed, the efforts to rescue them devoted so little thought to the kind of post-crisis financial system we want that we will end up with a banking system that is less competitive with the large banks that were too big to fail even larger. As long as we recognize that those American banks that are too big to fail are also too big to be managed, that's one reason that the performance of several of them has been so dismal, because the government provides deposit insurance that pays, plays a large role in restructuring, unlike other sectors. Normally, when a bank fails, the government engineers a financial restructuring. If it has to put money in it, of course, it gains a stake in the future. Officials know that if they wait too long, zombie or near-zombie banks with little or no net worth but treated as if they were valuable institutions or viable institutions are likely to gamble on resurrection. If they take big bets and win, they walk away with the proceeds. If they fail, the government picks up the tab. It's not just theory. It's a lesson we learned at great expense during the savings and loan crisis of the 1980s. When the ATM machine says insufficient funds, the government doesn't want this to mean that the bank, rather than your account, is out of money, so it intervenes before the till is empty, and the financial restructuring shareholders typically get wiped out, and bondholders become the new shareholders. Sometimes the government must provide additional funds, sometimes it looks for a new investor to take over the failed bank. The Obama administration has, however, introduced a new concept, too big to be financial restructured. The administration argues that all hell would break loose if we tried to play by the usual rules with these big banks. Markets would panic, so we not only have can't touch the bondholders, we also can't even touch the shareholders, even if most of the shares' existing value merely reflects a bet on a government bailouts. And ain't that the truth, eh? Ain't that the truth? And you've also got the same thing going on, mind you, with, um, with Britain. Britain's doing the same thing uh, because the G8 ministers in Britain it says here, G8 ministers endorse global financial regulation. This is from theguardian.co.uk. It says, the ministers endorse global financial regulation. Concerns in Britain that so-called the Lessee framework could weaken competitiveness of square mile. They're talking about the city, the city inside London, the city, where all the banks are. They're untouchable. They, can't, they don't even have to open their books to government. That's the law. They're untouchable. These finance ministers of the world's most powerful economies today pledge to work harder towards a global financial regulatory framework in a move that threatens to isolate Britain and place in peril the preeminence of the square mile. Efforts by France and Germany to create a new international financial supervisory body 
split ministers meeting in Lease, I know it's L-E-C-C-E, southern Italy. The so-called Lease framework could force hedge funds, private equity firms and banks to disclose more information. The G8 Treasury ministers signed up to the framework in recognition that the breadth and intensity of the prolonged downturn have revealed fundamental weaknesses of the global economic and financial systems. Deep splits over how to regulate the global financial system were conceded last night and are expected to come into focus when EU finance ministers attempt to reach an agreement in Brussels this week. At the heart of the debate are proposals made last week by the European Commission, the EU's executive arm, it called for setting up two bodies to enhance financial market supervision. The first body to be called the European Systemic Risk Council would monitor any build-up of risks in the financial system that would threaten its stability. The Commission proposed that the European Central Bank chair this council. A second pan-EU body would thrash out standards to be applied to day-to-day supervision of banks, insurers and security markets. Ultimately, decisions would have binding powers over EU member states. Alastair Darling is under pressure from city hedge fund tycoons, bankers and private equity financiers to resist what they see as an encroachment of European power designed to weaken London's financial services. Darling is determined to keep control of national supervision of banks because he believes that ultimately British taxpayers have to bail out UK banks. So big things happening, big things happening in the financial institutions but we know where it's all going because, you see, when they set up the United Nations, they already had the institutions set up to take over all that was with the, under the right circumstances. The International Monetary Fund was eventually, and this, was, this, was, this went by the guys who set it up, the Bretton Woods um, uh, Agreement, and Dumbarton Oaks is another place too, but you'll find the guys who set it up. John Maynard Keynes, he said this is part one of a global refinancial structure. The second part, he says, won't happen in our lifetime. Well, he's dead now. And he said when it comes into place, the International Monetary Fund will be risen to its true position as the distributor of the world's finances under the World Bank. Read his own reports. He put it in his own books. So everything just happens to go along with an old agenda. And it's amazing that they never change their plans. They, you can, one thing these guys do, when they print something about the future, you can take that to the bank because it's going to happen. You see, too much work and coordination goes in to set it all up to happen. They can, they can never turn from it. It's the same with the global warming farce. They said this has to fit the bill. This would fit the bill, this whole idea, because it would regulate every individual's way of living, right down to the basic levels. It's the big stick. They can't back off now. If it snowed every day for the next 10 years across the planet, they can't back off from it. And they won't. But you can take whatever they say to the bank. It always happens. I'll be back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix and I think we've just got time for a caller. There's Eric from California there. Are you there, Eric? Going, Alan. Yes. Yes, I have uh, two questions for you because I've been stumbling over this. Now, 
it's off topic, if you don't mind. Now, when one reaches a 33rd degree, are they allowed to uh, go to the Holy Land and view the body of Jesus in a glass casket? No. No? That's all false? Yeah. Oh, okay. And also... Yeah, no, I do, I, do, I do know once they, they get to a 33rd degree, they, they are... Um, they, are, they do go across in groups to the Holy Land, but they don't see Jesus in a glass casket, no. Oh, well, I was, I read somewhere where they had to pay, like, $5,000. Nah. <laughs> uh, and also, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nation of Islam or not, when, when Master Farrar Muhammad, are you familiar with that? Yeah. Uh, did he talk to uh, the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers? At any point in your knowledge, who? who? Uh, Master Farad Muhammad. Are you familiar with him? I, I haven't read anything that he did. You know. Oh, okay. I haven't read anything. But, but I mean, the thing is, too. I mean, we don't know half the people that they do meet. Look at that odd thing that happened when Arnold Schwarzenegger was flown into the Rothschild estate by helicopter before he was made governor. We, we don't know who these guys meet, or you know. So I have no idea. All these uh, re religious organizations are tied into, no matter what they are, right, are tied into the... the everything, believe you me, was in infiltrated an awful long time ago. And they made no bones about this in the early days of Rosicrucianism, that they would encourage their members to go into existing uh, religions and work their way up and then influence from within. Uh, in fact, there's even more recent ones that came out in the 20th century instructing Masons to do this. And even the Wiccan movement uh, that really was, was created by a higher organization of Freemasonry um, uh, were told to do the same things, infiltrate the churches from within, be very pleasant, talk about the same things, then gradually alter it. But you'll find that same technique was being used against the Catholic Church by the Albigensians uh, back in the 1400s and 1500s, uh, they, they already had the, the, the technique perfected. You can put 10 people sitting in a, in, a, in a little church all talking about God, and you'll never figure out you're all talking about a different deity. Hmm. As long as you use the same terms like hallelujah and etc., um, people will never think this person is actually talking about a different God altogether. So uh, that's how they come in. And once they're in, they start to question your, your beliefs. Not, not By getting you to question your belief, that's the beautiful trick of it. And, uh, and you will think they're coming to your own conclusions and losing your faith. The same thing happens in Freemasonry, um, where they, they invite everyone of every faith, and they'll tell you you can keep your faith. Uh, but really, if you are chosen to be an active Mason, uh, and you attend all the, the late-night meetings, and you're called, and you run when, when you're told to attend, uh, and you're very active, you're an operative mason, uh, then uh, you will gradually be, uh, become an atheist. And then once you've gone through your atheistic phase, then you become a, a humanist, and then you're allowed into the real religion at the top of it. So first they deprogram you, then reprogram you up to the higher level of perfection, as they call it. Mm. Yep. Well, thank you. Thanks for calling. Well, that's it from Ontario, Canada, from Hamish. He's the pooch. He's my dog and myself, where the mosquitoes are abounding and I need a transfusion. It's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.